Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is February 22nd, 2024. And there's something that we're currently standing in right now. We're currently standing in a moment of time that on one hand, we would like the hourglass of our lives to pause its progression. And on the other hand, to move forward in the advancement of God's glorious will. We are referring to the God-ordained launch of the kibbutz into the targeted soil of Romania. They are a triad of arrows who in less than 120 hours from now will sail through the air. Lufthansa, take Don't me away. They will cross over the Atlantic and begin to build in the Balkans a bow that will launch their sons and ours into the Middle East. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. See the men of the kibbutz, Pastor Judah, a.k.a. the Hammer, a.k.a. Baron Stevens. Nicola, stare into your sola, Erigina. That's right. I have to even mispronounce his first name to make that work, but we're going to do it. Some the great. juggernaut, pigeon puncher himself, Peyton Parson. <laughs> Accompanied by the most righteous, venerable, elder. Pat, we, we just don't know what to call him, so we're just going to call him Eric is also going. <laughs> These men are going to travel ahead of the kibbutz women and children to establish an inhabitable base of operations in Cluj, and their families are going to join them later in mid-March. You guys know these families have tirelessly labored to build this body of believers. They have poured out their lives as a beautiful offering that you have all greatly benefited from. And its very fragrance fills the rooms of each or one of your homes. Raise your hand if that has been you. Uh, that's nearly everybody in the room. These men have truly magnified and multiplied the talents of gold that were given them and will continue to do so in the lives and families of those in the Balkans and beyond. So as we sit here and we, we savor these final moments with our pastors, our brothers, our friends, we're well aware that there will be a mixture of tears and joy that will fall graciously upon all of our faces. Or not so graciously for some of us. Ugly cry, it's okay. <laughs> Cry like a man. It's going to happen. This is a beautiful mixture that can only come from that which is a precious possession and one that is poured out absolutely and fully for our king. Inasmuch as you've become who you are due to the constant sacrifice of the kibbutz, your aim must be to answer this question. Anybody had some questions and some doubts and some thoughts going around in your mind and your heart lately? Yeah, we got some double hands back there. The question is, is how do I magnify the work that these families have imparted to me and my household? How am I going to magnify what's been given to me? Whether your destiny is abroad or here in this house, we all have the God-ordained destiny to magnify today what currently is in our possession. We're going to go to Mark chapter 14 to answer this question and hit the target of this aim. Somebody say there as you're turning there. 
Mark 14, pick it up in verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Everybody say boo. Boo. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing to me. Everybody say to me. To me. So when we're engaging this passage, I want you to consider something. Rather than viewing the statements of a wasted sacrifice as the sum that surround you, view these statements as the ones that echo in the recesses of your own soul. Statements of false nobility, self-preservation, and a fleshly reaction to the call of pouring out your most treasured possession. The woman who is breaking the alabaster jar and pouring its full contents over the king was not looking to receive man's merits or the certificates of their accolades. Did you think about that as you were meditating on this passage this week? The fact that we see the story and we see what other people are thinking to themselves and what they're saying out loud. But this woman did not do that for any other reason than she saw Jesus and wanted to minister to him. Notice Jesus' response to what she did. He said, it was a beautiful thing that she has done to me. Meaning that the priority that moved her body and soul and spirit to sacrifice was to anoint and minister to Jesus. She had no concern or thought for those who were around, only that Jesus might be ministered to. Prior to this, and outside of angelic ministry after the temptation in the desert, can you think of anyone else who stepped forward to minister to him? There's not anyone that's recorded that is looking to minister unto the Messiah. This is a costly offering. She given all that she had. This is a high-priced target. But look at who she was giving it to. Her sacrifice was beautiful, just as Jesus said, because it cost her everything she had for the sake of the king of the universe. It was her most costly possession, a year's worth of wages that, secure, that could secure her future. It could remedy all insecurity, but yet it really couldn't. Her attitude was this, my reputation be damned. My future is at the feet of Jesus, the Messiah. Her security is now sacrificed fully for who he is. And it was beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because it was a costly sacrifice done unto him. He was the target of that ministerial effort. And he, therefore, was the one able to de declare it as beautiful in his sight. So consider what it means to minister to the Messiah. She ministered to him, and he founded a beautiful offering. Me let that meditate. Meditate on that for just a minute, what it means to minister to him. We're talking about ministering to the sovereign king to the maker of heaven and earth, 
to the one who is known as the Ancient of Days, the one who rides on the clouds, the one who will put every enemy under his feet, including death. She's ministering to him. What could he possibly need from her? What he, could he possibly need from us? And yet, we can minister to him. As you're meditating on that, turn with us to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Lord who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and who is seated in the heavens and rules over the earth, does not lack nor is in need of anything. And yet, he desires to set his eyes on those who will minister to him in humility, in brokenness, in the pure devotion to who he is. The one who hears his word sees the sovereignty of his might and is also shaken in their soul by the breath of God that reveals who he is to them. That's the one who his eyes desire to look upon and call his delight. It is from that position that we minister to him out of humility, out of being contrite in spirit and letting his word shake the depths of our soul. It's not because he needs us to, but rather because he desires us to do so. He's looking for something. He's looking for a heart that will become one with him. He's looking for actions inside of you, inside of me, that reflect his workmanship to be displayed on earth. And he's looking to speak words through you that reveal his character to everyone else. Think about those moments whenever you have been broken, whenever you have been at your lowest, and you cried out to the Lord and you offered him all that you had. And he spoke to you and revealed who he was to you. There was that humility. There was that contriteness of spirit. And you had no other option but him. You broke open that precious alabaster jar, a fragrant pressing of your own death. But it filled the room with the fragrance of life. You want to fill a room with the fragrance of life? Be broken and contrite before your God. Give him your all. And watch as his character emits through you, it will bring resurrection to everyone else around you. You know it when you walked into this room tonight. That what was in here was men and women looking to come and give their all to who he is. When we got to that point in worship, didn't everything else that surround you not even come close in comparison to who he was? The alignment of our hearts were on him. The, the steadiness of our soul was secured by him. And there was nothing else that could satisfy your soul in that very moment. 
We have access to his throne at all times, saints. We have access to minister to him at all times. And what this is is a family gathering where we recenter our hearts and minds to the priority of ministering to who he is. The fact that you can minister to the one who has the heaven as his throne and the earth as his footstool. We come here so often to gather together. And there are times when you come in and you might feel beaten and broken. And we come here to get ministered to. This body is being raised up. There's a closeness that God is drawing us to. You heard it tonight that the distance isn't something that he's causing. He wants to draw us close. Why? So that we can minister to him. So that your heart and your life can be an offering to him. This is what we're looking at. And haven't you seen the most amazing example of this in the men and women of the kibbutz? I'm just going to give it to you now. I'm going to just be honest with you. We don't have a ton of notes. We just wanted to speak to our family tonight. This is not a complex thing that we're saying to you. I'm fighting back tears not because of just my friends leaving. I'm fighting back tears because I feel that this is so the heart of God for us. That we might minister to him. The kibbutz have set such a good example of this. You want to replicate what they've done? Does anybody in here want to replicate what the kibbutz has achieved? I do. It's because these men and women, it's not about the vehicles they drive or the house that they live in. There's nothing supernatural about Pasadero Drive. It's kind of the opposite. Amen from the Thomases over there. Yeah. One, one, one. And Phillips. We, get, we got two. We got two on the street. <laughs> you could try to buy the same kind of vehicles. You could try to do all those other things. But what makes them them is that they have a heart to minister to the Lord, first of all. You know how I know that? Because you see it and you hear it in their voice. You see them wrestle with their own contriteness, their own contrition that they need. You watch them do that day in and day out. And you're amazed. Has anybody been amazed at their their transparency with you? See, they are ministering to the Lord. And from that place, they're able to minister to everyone else. The men and the women of the kibbutz have demonstrated Psalm 16, verse 8, as well as any that I know. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The primary aim and actions of these families have been to daily set their face like flint toward the Lord who is seated in the heavens, seeking to find out what is pleasing to him, ministering to him by humbly looking to offer costly sacrifices that his name deserves and desires. It's more than just having a pack up a house into a few totes. The reason that they're able to do that now at great personal cost is because they've been doing this every day of their life. You do realize that there's not a special soil that they're growing up in, right? There's not a separate potted plant that's over here to the side. They're growing up in the exact same soil that you and I are in. The exact same scripture-rich environment. The exact same environment that has the Spirit of God being poured out constantly. 
What have they done that's so different and that's so special? Is that they've learned to minister to him. They've made their entire lives about ministering to him. First and foremost, and this singular goal, then manifest. Somebody say then. then. They first and foremost minister to him, and then it provides divine nourishment to the rest of us. What these men are doing is that they're following an ancient path. One that we can clearly see in Ezekiel chapter 44. So turn with us there and say there when you land on that chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 15. But the Levitical priest, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me. And they shall keep my charge. What's happening during this time is that in Israel you have great idolatry and apostasy. The priests from the lineage of Zadok were given the highest of all priestly duties, namely to draw near to him and to minister to him. Look, there were other Levites who received tasks that put them around the things of God, even being in the sanctuary. But the sons of Zadok had the high call to minister to him first and foremost. That means to aim every thought every action, every longing towards who Adonai is. And in doing so, to bring costly sacrifices that would honor Adonai's desires. Ones that would bring him what he truly deserves. They fixed their eyes on the supremacy of God in all things. And because of that, that would become the hope for all Israel. That by drawing near to him and ministering to him, then they could serve rightly in their priesthood. And what would flow out of them would be a constant source of restoration for the rest of the nation. Again, church, did you hear these words in the prophetic utterances that were given to us during worship? The desire of our Father to draw us near that we might minister to him. Not allowing a distance to be there. Not based on what you're thinking, not based on your uh, feelings, but you are to come close. He's allowing and giving you the privilege. Somebody say privilege. privilege. The privilege of the most, of the highest order that we are able to draw close. And we've been given the right kind of examples here, haven't we? I'm looking at Pastor Justin and Lynn Johnson on the front row. You want to talk about a man and a woman of God who understand what it's like to be drawn near to the Lord and to minister to Him. At great personal loss, at great personal cost. See, like the sons of Zadok, you are also ordained to participate in a priesthood that starts with the priority of ministering to Him. If a woman who sacrificed her greatest treasure can minister to the Messiah, so you can as well. She was not seeking to magnify her own name. 
or her own deeds. But she was seeking to bring the Son of God glory on earth, and it was done at the greatest expense to her own life. This means that your task that you are assigned in even to yourself don't have an equal or higher priority than pursuing his presence. I'm going to use a word that I have come to hate. It's true. It's very similar to that. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> that was not the phrase that I was thinking of. The word that I hate even more than that is entitlement. How much we are able to minister to him, it begins by you understanding that you have been given the highest order of privilege that there exists in this world. The father of all creation, the one who formed you and fashioned you and made you, he is the one that you are allowed to come close to and to minister unto him. How many difficulties would be cured in this room immediately if we understood that he is worth it all, that he is our father, and he has assigned us our actual identity? See, you get upset when, because there's an entitled spirit within you. There's an entitlement that says, yeah, I want to give this, but I want some type of return for it. The beauty of the alabaster jar is that it was broken, never intending to be gotten back or used again, and she wasn't looking for anything. She wanted nothing in return. I'm going to do this because my children are going to be better for it. I'm going to do this for the generations. I'm going to do this for the brothers. And you know that I'm not speaking against children or the generations or your brothers. What I'm trying to get at is the entitlement that you feel that when you give a sacrifice to the Lord, that there's an alternative motive, a selfish ambition within you that you should receive something. The closeness that God is calling us to tonight is that you might be able to give your all to him with nothing in return. Just because he is worth it. And he is the only one who is worth it. What's the opposite of entitlement? For now, I'm going to say that it's the, it's the opportunity and you understand the privilege that you walk in. I get to give the Lord everything? Yes, you do. I get to give the Lord the brokenness of my own body? Yes. Yes, you do. I get to give the Lord all of my security and all of my future. Yes. What a high privilege that you have. I can come near to the God of all creation and I can minister to him. Thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. And the victory is in and of itself the fact that you got to minister to him. That's it. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else because his spirit in me means everything. His presence and the fact that I'm close to him means everything. When it means everything, 
it helps refine our discernment to razor's edge. And what we're able to do is detect and destroy the satanic little subtlety that entitlement comes packaged in. And that's usually phrased by predominantly these two words, but I'm sure there are more. My expectations. Or just a predicted outcome. I'm trying to plan ahead. Know what's coming about. But what really is happening is that there's a desire to give something less than all. Because he's worth it. The daily display of your mezuzah flows from fastening your ear to his throne. And by doing so, exalting his lordship over every expectation, over every predicted outcome. It is then that the priesthood of heaven will flow through you and enable you to operate in your God-given design. And that being for the purpose of exalting and glorifying his character, his workmanship above all others. Isn't it beautiful whenever you stand back and you see God's glory displayed in a life that he sovereignly did. He used men. He used women to do it. But it was a result of someone's first starting by ministering to him. You know, you, you come down to the altar. You spend time uh, in your car on the way back home or uh, in a prayer closet. And you're just seeking his face to bless him. And then in that moment, he speaks to you a word for somebody else. And in that moment, you carry that word on your shoulders and you give it. You overcome every apprehension, every fear of, I'm not sure if this is going to be right. Get rid of all of that. Take that word and give it because it's going to bring about resurrection life. But it first starts with ministering to him. In the end, he gets the glory anyway. So we just have to choose what side of that glory we want to be on. I want to be on the kind or on the side that has the kind of sacrificial of abandonment of all of who I am for the sake of all of who he is. So when looking around at our lives, because we just mentioned mezuzahs, that's our purpose, right? And we're looking at sending these three families to their destined call. Although we do not all have identical destinies or destinations, we've all been given something. And that is a unified design. And it is for this reason we were purchased by the blood of the Lamb, enabled and privileged to participate in His priesthood. When we're operating within His priesthood, we reflect exactly His priestly duties. And it all starts with the priority of ministering to him. And it's from that point that then we minister to all others. I mean, think about this. The number of times that Jesus went away to a solitary place. And he just began to seek the face of his father. And from that interaction he had with his father, the 12 disciples were given to him. He began to seek the face of the Father in one uh, occurrence when he sent them across the Sea of Galilee. And he prayed and he prayed knowing the heart of the Father while watching his disciples strain at the oars. They couldn't make it to the other side. Their strength wasn't enough. And yet he knew the perfect timing to step 
on that, that, that water, walk across and give them the added strength that they needed. I know that that was me. That was me. I would rush down and do everything I could to get to the disciples to help them as quickly as possible. But if I start at the point of ministering to him, it guarantees I will not get anything wrong. It guarantees I will hit with precision the aim of how he wants to minister to others as opposed to the way that I want to. Somebody say that's good. The answer to the question then, how do I magnify the work that these families have imparted to me in my household, is to make ministering to the Lord the starting point of all endeavors. Jesus makes this very clear. Let's go back to Mark 14 together. Mark 14, and we're going to, take, we're going to pick it back up in verse 6. It says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Verse 7, for you, all, you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. Jesus was not unaware of the innumerable needs of others. And he even is saying, you can do this anytime you want. You have the authority, you have the power to be able to minister. You can minister to the poor. You can do that. But he was, however, establishing the priority from which they would carry out their good deeds and that being a priest first ministers to him. By doing so, you are emptied of your own personal interest and solely fixed on his. I'm going to say that again. To be emptied of your personal interests and solely fixed on him. That's what makes this story amazing. We know that this woman goes on and says, wherever the gospel is told, you will hear about her. But that wasn't her goal. She wasn't going, I hope, I hope that I'm legendary with this act. I hope everyone for all time will know about me. I'm going to put it with, with prayerful hands. Praise the Lord. Look what the Lord. It's all for the Lord, of course. If you think about historic moments throughout the Bible. Think about Solomon, just for a second. Do you know what Solomon, him asking, has anybody been like me, and you've made it an ongoing prayer in your life to ask for wisdom for God to, to come in like Solomon did? Do you know what makes that an amazing story? He was asleep. That was literally in a dream. Okay. Now, now we're going to get to it. If you had the chance to ask God something in your dream, unfiltered by those around you, unfiltered by what you think you ought to say, would you have asked for that kind of wisdom or would you have asked for riches? Maybe what made Solomon so unique was the fact that his actual heart cry was nothing other than God giving him the wisdom to lead God's people. What we say our heart cry is, and what that is, are two very different things. Can somebody, anybody honest in the house? 
We want it to be good. We want it to be only on him. But it's through this process of ministering to him first that it eliminates those selfish areas, those personal interests, and it allows us to solely focus on him so we can perfectly carry out his will. We can be in perfect alignment with his heart, with his mind, and then we carry out his will through his empowerment. And it's never about us. It's only about him. My God, moving away from just being able to say that to being able to live that, being able to move from just a singular person or a small collect group of people in the room to every man and every woman in here holding to the same requirements that you've seen displayed in the kibbutz, that you've seen displayed in your pastors, that you've seen displayed in Pastor Justin, whomever it may be, that every man and woman, we're going to do this. Hey, look at me. Some of you yawning in the back. Pay attention. God is drawing us close so we can do this. He's not giving you this message because you can't. He's not giving you this message because he doesn't intend to help you. You are here so that he can help you to accomplish his will. Which is to minister to him first and then all other ministry flows from that. Y'all being blessed? Yeah. As pastors is preaching fire, I'm being moved. And I, I think of a certain phrase that we used a couple times, and that's illogical logic. <laughs> illogical logic thinks that, that it's a bad day to approach the holiness of God. It's very stupid. Yeah, that just means you're stupid. Very stupid. It's always a good day and a good time to approach the holiness of God. What's the end result? The end result is that now you are standing right with him and his character can be purely displayed through your words and through your life. When we're thinking about the woman who broke the alabaster jar, we see that when you give your greatest sacrifice to glorify and minister to him, the fragrance of a pleasing sacrifice will fill the room for them. He, she poured the oil on him, and the result was a fragrance for them. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The presence of God is not potpourri. Is the pouring out of all. 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. All right, help me out. Make sure I'm not dwelling in illogical logic here. If he is leading, then that means that we are following. Yes, okay. The Lord is at my head, always in front of me. And through us, him through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. Get this in the ESV. Make sure that's up. We are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So that ministry, this ought to just rightly align every idea that you have about what ministry is. Ministry starts by ministering to him. And from that, 
is an aroma unto God that all others can smell the fragrance of. Hey, is anybody honest? Would anybody have completed, for we are the aroma of Christ from God? Is that a beautiful understanding that we are the aroma of Christ to God? That's amazing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? <laughs> That's a good question. So let's put some things together. Messiah always leads us in the victorious path of knowing and achieving his purposes. Right? He always leads us in triumphal procession. No matter how much you feel like your moment is death and despair, it's a lie because Christ is at your head and he's always leading you into victory. The process of him leading us gives us the privilege of carrying and spreading the fragrance of what is known about him. Furthermore, through this we are the aroma of Christ to God, ministering first to him and then bringing the sweet savor of the fragrance of Christ everywhere and to everyone. So when ministry flow that flows from your home starts with him as the priority, you then become a vessel that pours out the character of God. Pouring out his image that weighs and measures the hearts of men and beckons them to abandon their own lives for the source of true life. You are also able to refresh the redeemed of God. You're able to refresh the saints in the land who need the strength of brotherhood to complete their God-given task. What this can also indicate is that whenever you are not first seeking to minister to him, then your strengthening of brotherhood is going to be insufficient. But the way to get that right is that you first seek God, minister to him, and he will give you everything you need to go and strengthen your brother. When you're doing this, you're reminding them of the fragrance of life that they possess and returning to the priority, priority of setting the Lord before them always. How many times that happened among us, and particularly with the men of the kibbutz and the ladies of the kibbutz as well, is that when we, we draw near together and just sometimes even standing next to these men and women, you then are refreshed with that fragrance of Christ it is able, especially on a, a Thursday, it is able to get, let you get rid of all of that nasty smells that you've been around outside of these four walls. Walk in and have your spirit refreshed with that aroma that is pleasing unto him. And within a matter of seconds, you then know where you should rightly stand and therefore how you should rightly sacrifice. See, like all revelation from heaven, Paul is writing here in 2 Corinthians from the litany of his own experiences that show the priority of ministry. One of these examples and personal experiences is recorded in Acts 16. Go with us to Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 25. Somebody say there as you are turning there. Acts 16 and verse 25. It says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. How many times have we read this passage? And if I were going to ask you to, if I could 
When I said Acts 16, some of you were already there. When I gave you the verse, you understood the context. But I'll be honest with you, in my mind, that says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. But based on what God is doing inside of us tonight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners listening to them was not even their aim. Their aim was to minister to God himself. In the midst of the prison, their evangelism was coming from the place of ministering unto God and then the evangelism. The power was from that starting place. Verse 26, and suddenly there was, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. See, while chained in prison for the gospel, Paul and Silas were surrounded by the poor in spirit. They were surrounded by convicts who needed heavenly conviction. Notice that in this target-rich environment, they started their ministry by praying and singing hymns to God. Establishing the foundation of ministerial efforts that would result in the fragrance of Christ filling the entire prison cells of those held captive by their own sin. See, their priority to minister to the Lord resulted in an Isaiah 6-like moment that comes here on them. When the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the foundations of the threshold shook. Here in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they find that the foundations of the prison were shaken and doors were open and all shackles loosed. This was the next waypoint in Paul's ministry. To lead him to fulfilling a dream of a man in Macedonia and the Lord opened a door for effective ministry. Okay, so let me ask you, what awaits your future ministry and what will it take to secure effective ministry in that future? I can give you the answer. It's an ongoing costly sacrifice of your own security that fixes all thoughts, all emotions, all of your actions upon the throne of God. The throne that cannot be contained or confined or constrained in any way. It is from his throne that you have access to actual chain-breaking power, to be able to set captives free. But this wasn't a one-and-done imprisonment for Paul. It was a repeated pattern of costly sacrifice for the sake of Christ and those that crave the aroma of our king. You see how this continues in verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. So the fragrance of life in Paul and Silas also became, in that moment, the smell of death for the jailer. However, Paul had already stood in the presence of God, and therefore he had discernment from his throne. Of what would it take to preserve life in this moment and also pour out transformational power? You know what the jailer was experiencing? He was experiencing the effect of God's word working on earth. And his response to that moment was then to tremble before God with humility and then crave the contents of God's vessels there on the scene. Verse 30. 
Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Get this, you and your household. His initial cry was, What must I do to be saved? But the furthering direction and effect of this fragrance was for you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You never know to what extent your sacrifice secures households and their future. What's happening here is that Paul is experiencing a chain of events that require greater and greater sacrifice. In the journey to this point, there's unknown hardships, unknown persecution, beatings and imprisonment, all for the sake of ministering to him. The result is that the aroma of Christ filled a jailer's household. It is a home that future ministry would then be birthed from. Another way to look at it is that in this moment, we have a generational advancement that produces a generational reward because it started with first ministering to him. That generational advancement is seen in that relationship between Paul and Silas, a disciple maker and a disciple, joined together, literally, within the bonds of prison itself. But as they first started with ministering to who the Lord was, it resulted in a generational reward in the jailer and his entire household experience in salvation. As we get ready to draw near to an end here, we want you to turn with us to Jeremiah 33. I want you to see a few beautiful things that we still have left in, the, in, the, in just the remaining few passages that we have. Jeremiah 33 and verse 22. It says this, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. See, we're looking here in Jeremiah at the end of the book of Consolation. If you don't remember that, then you can take back and look at the Jeremiah foundation studies that we did. You have here a covenant with David that is as sure as the covenant that God has made with the sun and the moon. This is immediately after those verses that say, if the sun and the moon quit working, then you know that my promise to David will fail. So as long as you can wake up in the morning and see the sun, or you can see the moon at night, then you know that this promise still stands. The multiplication of the literal offspring of David. The multiplication of the literal Levitical priest who do what? Who minister unto him. Who minister to him. That love what he loves. That serve all, give all, sacrifice all. The net product of us first serving the Lord is that we then begin to understand his heart and see the people around us. But we're ministering with his heart, not our own compassion. We're ministering with his mind, not our own thoughts about a situation. 
we are able to then, we get close to him, we minister to him, we know what he wants, we know what he desires, we know what his intentions are, and then we operate and then we help the people around us. We get it right because we've connected with him in his heart and we're able to move. That kind of ministry, God wants to multiply. That kind of person, God wants to multiply again and again and again and again. And that's what he's going to do for us. Amen. Consider, I'm, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to put this on the screen. Isaiah 56. But pastor, that's for the descendants of David. Yes, you're right. The actual Levitical priesthood, yes, you're right. But look at what Isaiah 56, 6 says. And the foreigners, somebody say, that's me. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him. This is what God is always after. Whether it's the Davidic offspring, the Levitical priest, or it's like us who are the foreigners who are saying, no, I'm, I'm captivated by this. I've been taken hold by it. I'm joining myself permanently to who the Lord is that I might minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these these who minister to me, I will bring to my holy mountain. Do you hear that uh, Ezekiel passage that's kind of referenced here where they're getting close? God draws, draws them close. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them mediocrely happy. <laughs> Joyful in my house of prayer. But it doesn't stop there. Their burnt offerings. Those foreigners who are ministering to me, their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted on the altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. What started off in the verse before of just saying, in my house of prayer, I'm going to do this for them. But it was never just for that reason. As we minister to the Lord, we're able to minister to all those that the Lord is drawing near to himself. And we do it with a smile on our face, with joyfulness in our heart, because he is worth it all. And it is our great privilege to do so. Is he worth it, saints? Let me put it more pointedly. Is he worth it to send the three families of the kibbutz? Of course he is. And we're thinking about woman breaking that alabaster jar and breaking it and pouring the oil over his head. I think that what we're standing in right now is the ability to cherish the few moments that we have left with these three families. But let me help you. There's something also to cherish. It's treasuring the days, months, and years that we have to further what they've invested in us. Multiply what they've been giving to you. What we're looking at, and if you start seeing my shirt get wet, it's not because I spilled water on, on my shirt. It's because it's the joy to sacrifice. Yes, they will be greatly missed, but make it their joy as well. Then whenever they do have the opportunity to see you again, they will see how much you have multiplied what they've given to you. 
and what we already have, but what we will see in a magnified and multiplied fashion is men and women, families that rise to have the precision of God's heart and mind day in and day out. Men and women and families that have that right word on their tongue, that can strengthen the weary. Men and women that know how to take seriously the gospel and willing to pay all the price that's required. Are y'all enjoying this word? I love that we have pastors that kill it like this. Sam Booth, I'm going to need your help because I can't hold microphones, notes, vapes, and Bibles, and I'm not letting go of my vape. Would you put Mark 14, 7 on the screen? Are y'all tired? Do you want to go home? For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. You know, Jesus is addressing a group of people that includes Judas who stole from the money bag. The synoptics make it clear that they didn't say this because they cared about the poor. This is not a contrast between Jesus and the poor of the earth. It's a contrast between what has to be done now and could be uh, something that could be done at any time. Y'all see the difference? Their time with Jesus is limited. Their time with the poor is indefinite. You see that sign up there? One life. One family, one nation. It's because the Stephens got here. We're like, there's a church on every corner. Or something called a church on every corner. What do we do? We had to get before our father and trust that he would show us the one life we were supposed to interact with that day. Because when your target is as broad as the whole city of Houston, they're always with you. But you have a finite moment in your life to do the one thing that must be done right now. This woman didn't miss that moment. By the way, while we're talking about that, let's just take a CNN-style poll. Those things are always accurate. Nikki Haley's going to (laughs) win, right? (laughs) If you just had to guess, who do you think ended up doing more for the poor throughout their lifetime? The naysayers in this crowd that pretended to care for the poor or the one person there that knew how to attend to the needs of Christ? People talk a good game about ministry. They have so many people to minister to that they don't really minister to anyone. Why do we pray through the tabernacle? Well, you start by exalting the character and name of God in your thoughts. The gates of praise. Why? To put the Lord before you. You get to an altar to turn away from every priority in your life that did not come from God. 
That's called sin. Turn away from sin. You get to a labor to clothe yourself in your actual function that God gave you, not somebody else's, gave you. You enter into a holy place saying, your spirit lead me. Your spirit search me. Your spirit instruct me. You end up at the table that is his word. Say, confirm what I believe you're saying through the spirit. You end up at the altar of incense, which is a beautiful partnership with God. No longer doing what you wanted to do. No longer concerned with all of the poor. Just concerned with the one task God gave you in that moment. And then you stand at his throne thankful that you're his son, his very image on the earth. Thankful that his throne is actually directing and leading your life. These pastors asked us a question. How do I magnify what I have been given? They said the answer starts with putting the Lord before you. Psalm 16, 8, I have the Lord always before me. You can't minister to people without being in the presence of the Lord ministering to him. Who's the guy, Justin, the beast? Mr. Beast. What a fantastic name that is. I don't care how many good deeds the guy does on the internet for everyone to see. If they were not directed by God, they might as well be of the devil. Ministry to him comes before ministry to them. That's really easy to remember, isn't it? Ministry to him comes before ministry to them. In fact, ministry to him produces ministry to them. Yeah? How about that? The pastors asked something that I just couldn't let go because we have Justin and Lynn Johnson with us tonight. And it happens that when I think of the woman washing Jesus' feet with her hair, 100% of the time in my mind, that's Lynn. Oh, y'all didn't grow up with them. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when they were young and not so ancient. But early on in life, somebody saw Lynn that way. And we had a drawing that Lynn always kept that was precious of her at the feet of Jesus. What? And as a result, she ends up ministering to people. And they, they covered 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, the aroma of Christ to God. Y'all thought that was interesting, huh? Aroma of Christ to God. You know who first taught that in Texas? Justin Johnson. In fact, we had a few celebratory shots before that meeting. That offends you, you. <laughs> well, go get before him. He did the same thing. A fragrance is really hard thing to fake. And man, do you know the genuine article when you encounter it? That comes from being with him. So that you are the aroma of Christ to God, and then it overflows as a fragrance to those who are being saved. It's a fragrance to those who are perishing, too. They hate you. Just like people hated this woman for the beautiful thing she did 
to him. Acts 16, they were singing to God. Do you think they didn't care about the prisoners? No, they just knew where all ministry actually flows from. I'd like to say about Nick, Peyton, and Judah on the last Thursday evening that I have with them in the States. If you spend any time with Nick Arizina, how fast is the man to pray? Do you know what his prayer life looks like? He's concerned for everybody in this room. You know who he's more concerned with? His father. And it's out of that concern that he ministers to other people. You traveled with Peyton at all? Am I the only one that's watched Peyton puke in like 30 countries? You know how eager he is to show thankfulness to his father? You know how persistent he is in his praise? I'm a negative human being. I, I have to repent of that many times every day. Peyton can find something good about every one of you. I can find something good about almost all of you. He is always praising his father. He is always more conscious of God than he is of himself. My favorite quality about my son on the front row, many times every day, when we're riding around together in the car, he re redirects his father. He's like, yeah, 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 but let's pray for a minute. Yeah, no, I got that, but Dad, the scripture says. He redirects, do you know why? Because he's closer to Jesus than any other relationship in his life. Look, let me say this again. Ministry to him will produce ministry to them. But you've got to seize the moment. This woman didn't have a month to do this. She didn't get to build up to it for six months. She had a moment to make a decision about a year's wages for a beautiful anointed moment with her king. She had to do it that moment. Those that thought it was wasteful would never know how to minister to anyone. Those that understood it was beautiful would know how to minister to everyone so that you could see a single life and know what God wanted to do with that life. Not just in general, not just, well, this is the will of God for all mankind. That's relatively useless. What is this will for the person you're staring at? And how would you know it if you're not ministering to the Lord? You know what their family is supposed to become. And eventually you find out what nation they're supposed to transform. That's what ministry to him overflows and produces in ministry to them. Most people are just flying blindly at this. I just got a drop-down list of scriptures, a few great sermons, and I'll share them with everybody everywhere I go. Yeah, go minister to all the poor. But if you start with costly acts of service to him, you'll know what to do individually with every person that you meet. You'll start to know what their family is to become. You'll eventually figure out what nation they're supposed to transform. Worship team, where are you guys at? Yeah, come here. Come hither. Leave Heather there and come hither. 
Church, we could move through a Thursday night and be done. We're at an hour and three minutes. We are taking back what Gabe and Chris left on the table last week. <laughs> I want you to have an opportunity for something, okay? Let me tell you what we're not looking for. We already had a repentance call. Yeah, did you all feel that? Did you feel the Lord was pleased with it? So don't come snot and cry on the altar. Don't, don't do that. People are going to have to clean this right after you're gone. Save your snot. Instead, seize your moment to minister to him. A moment to tell him what you think of him. A moment to do something costly for you that you know he will find beautiful. And then... Matthew 25, 40 will teach you that every bit of ministry you do after that is ministering to him. Whatever you've done unto the least of these brothers you've done unto me. Well, not if he didn't direct it. But if he directed it, it was the same as if you did it to him. So here's what this altar call is. It's a moment for you to do something beautiful to him, so you will know what to do for them. Because you're going to walk out of this building. And who said that he would never leave you or forsake you? Who said he would be with you always, even to the end of the age? If you're having moments, days, or couples of days where you don't feel close to him, you haven't been ministering to him. He's never far from you. You're often far from him, but he's never far from you. And guess what he'll do as you begin to wash his feet with your hair? He'll start to go, look over there. That one, that one's mine. I know they don't look like much today. But if you will be my hands and feet to them, I will turn them into something greater than what I've done in you. He'll start to do that for you again and again and again. Ask me how these seats got full. And it's your turn. It's your season. Okay? We're going to raise up more kibbutzes. For sure. But we shouldn't start from nothing. Our word this year was that we already had a barn full. That means that you are learning. The number one question I get is how to dial in your discernment. It starts with ministry to him. The number two question I get is how to study the word. It starts with ministry to him. Some of you can read in Hebrew. That's awesome. A couple of you in here can read in Greek. That's awesome. You know what's better than both of those things? To be able to read it in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Starts with ministry to him. Maybe you could take just a little bit of time or a lot. We tend to stay up really late in this church. And just get on your knees and tell him what he means to you. And begin to love and worship as if it were your last opportunity to do so. And then I guarantee you that your ministry to them will be more effective. I guarantee it. I know that because that's how life-changing ministry started. That's what life-changing ministries is. And if you're sitting here, I'm looking, I love this little girl, and I'm not going to embarrass her again this week. If you're sitting here thinking, yeah, but I don't know how he feels about me, tell him how you feel about him, and I bet he'll respond. Draw near to the Lord. He'll draw near to you. 
You think you have an unfixable problem? Get at the feet of Jesus and anoint him with something precious and watch what he does for you. He longs, he looks for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Not just sing to him. Heartfelt, actual pouring out. Not, this is what I've done and this is what I want. Tell him how you feel about him. You'll be surprised if you struggle to verbalize that. It's because you haven't been doing it enough. Would you please stand to your feet? If this moment had passed, then all we would have in Mark 14 is a man who was a Pharisee and a leper and a bunch of people that had no idea what the heart of God actually was. And one woman that went home with regrets and perfume that was worth a year's wages. But she didn't waste her moment. She didn't let it go. She poured it out right there just in love and devotion to him. And I got a feeling that her life has ministered to far more people than that jar of oil could have been sold than the money would have ministered to. Father, we're asking you here and now to help us out of the depths of our soul to begin to express our love to you, our devotion to you, that we might learn to minister to you so that we might know how to actually minister to other people. Teach us here in this place, Lord.